Uh, this is Dane Phillips. I'm the CEO of Elite Admit, and this is our podcast, Insights. Uh, today, I will be joined by Billet, um, uh, soon-to-be graduate of MIT Sloan uh, MBA. Very excited to hear about his experience. Um, comes from kind of a different background uh, than uh, a lot of candidates, so I think it's going to be really helpful to hear uh, what he was doing before he applied, when he applied, and then how his MBA experience has been different you know, given that different background. So Billet, thank you so much for joining us. You know, please introduce yourself uh, to everybody out there. Hi, Dan. Um, good to be here. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me on the call. Um, so my, so like as Dan said, I, my, my background is in entrepreneurship. So before, uh, before MBA, I was doing, uh, I was a co-founder and MD of a, of a insurance technology startup here in Thailand. Um, and, uh, I did that for three and a half years. Um, decided to go to MBA, um, and you know, I basically exited the company to an Indonesian-based startup, um, and now doing an MBA at um, Tsinghua MIT. So we, it's a dual degree program: one year in Tsinghua and um, the second year electives in, in uh, MIT Sloan. So that's kind of pretty much my background. All right. Yeah, really interesting. I, I was going to mention uh, Tsinghua, but I didn't know where the degree is actually from. So you get both, right? It's a master's yep. from one. And so describe it's an MBA, what from, it's MBA from Tsinghua and it's a master of science in management study from MIT Sloan. Um, the program is structured such that the core courses are done in, in Tsinghua and the electives are in MIT Sloan. So it's kind of nice of both in, in the sense that the core courses, the, the fundamentals are covered in, a, in, a, in China. Um, we have that Chinese connection. We have that um, you know, understanding about China. Um, and at the same time, we have the cutting edge knowledge, cutting edge knowledge of, like, um, of MIT Sloan um, in terms of management. So um, that is the, the, I, what I really like about the program. The caveat is that um, the program needs to do two theses huh, uh, yeah. That, <laughs> yeah that's that's a really difficult one um, right. so each of it is um, about 40 page 12 12,000 words each wow. um, and it can't be the same so um, unless you have really a, a strong passion in something it's it's, it's kind of short to, <laughs> to write two theses yeah yeah <laughs> But you knew that going into it. I mean, we, uh, I do. You know, we talked about it. It's a, it's a really academic version of those two programs. I mean, when you're writing a, a thesis twice, I mean, you, you can imagine how academic that is, but it's something you were aware of going in. Yes. Um, but at the same time, you save a whole lot of money on tuition fee because okay. China, <laughs> China is a lot cheaper. Right. Know, like China. So Tsinghua is like, you know, 10,000 US dollars um, wow. versus MIT. You know, right. and, and China China also gives a lot of scholarship. So um, nice. like most of most of the Thai students who, who apply get fifty percent wow. um, scholarship from tuition fee. So that's um that's one big plus. Um and obviously the, the Chinese connection is obviously important. Um but at the same time, like I knew that coming back I would be I would be joining family business, um and doing a lot of it is investment um into into aged care. Um, business so this is a kind of a nice way to work with MIT professor um, to to 
to write the strategy out for the for the family. So that's cool. Um, yeah. So I'm not. I don't mind doing the thesis, but like some of my friends are really hating it. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yours is so applicable. It's not like you're writing it for publication in some journal. I mean, this is a business plan for your life for your company. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And like I'm reviewing the the business in in, in US and how like you know looking at at that. That's like probably twenty years. Um, plan for Thailand, right? How how tw- how Thailand is going to be in twenty years? And how do we how do we start today? So that's right. kind of very applicable to 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 the uh, to my business. Yep. That's really cool. And so you know, it's interesting to hear that you exited the startup, but the goal was not to be a serial entrepreneur. Um, obviously, you could have done that, um, but you knew ahead of time that you were going to go to your family business, so it, it wasn't a problem exiting. And then joining school, or did you decide that once you were there? Um, so I kind of have the idea of of uh, of of going back to family business, and um, was I think growing up, growing up, I was um, I was more of uh, thinking of how growing up. Basically, I have the idea of how do we create a uh, generational wealth, and how mm. do we continue our generational legacy so that our future generation obviously can um, can can live um, can live comfortably and also create value for society so that's kind of the, the, the background and the values that we, I have since young right so whether uh, so going back to family business is natural but whether it is uh, creating another business or looking at a portfolio is a different question. Mm. Um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to to do. I wanted, you know, like during before an MBA, I thought maybe I started another business for the family. But then during the um, the year at MIT, it really kind of um, boils down, and I, I kind of have um, came to a conclusion that I want to do more portfolio management. Um, okay, and then then starting something on my own. Um, okay. Again, so yeah, so that's that's pretty much the the thinking process behind it, and it's just because I'm I'm excited about macro, I'm excited about um the making deals than um just one idea. So right, um, I have a lot of a lot of different ideas I'm excited about, and I I would um I'm and I'm better suited for thinking about macro, um thinking about um investment strategy. Um, how do we position ourselves to um, to to weather two different scenarios? That's kind of what I'm excited about, um, rather than creating a business um, that scale. Obviously, right. I mean it's it's um, both are both can be very successful, but it's just personal preference. Yeah. Right. Well, and you got that experience in InsureTech. You got to do the deep dive. You got to do the um, and not just the business. I mean, you built the business up from scratch. But if I recall from our conversations, there was a lot of regulatory issues. You were working with the government. I mean, you really got to get your hands dirty in that experience, right? Yes, yes, I did. Um, at the same time, the, I wasn't excited about operation, so <laughs> operation wasn't something that I um, like gets me. Uh, up in the morning, um, okay. You know, but launching the business, I see. Um, yep, was was something that I'm, I'm, I'm interested in. Yeah. Right. So, well, and that's where the serial entrepreneurship comes in. I mean, you could just keep starting businesses, sell them, you know, sell them off. I mean, you could do that forever. But I understand 
wanting to come back to the family business. And you are, I, I know you're, you have a younger brother going to med school. Are you the oldest child? I'm the second. Second so oldest. I have, I have three, yeah, I have three brothers together. Okay. So two younger brothers and, and one elder. So you didn't have to go to the family business. That I mean, that's usually the oldest sibling has to, right? I mean, you you had a choice in the matter. I do. I as in I do have a I do have a choice when my elder brother um is more. I mean, most of us are most of my brothers are involved in the business. Hmm. Um, and my elder brother is more entrepreneurial than uh, portfolio um, okay. builder, and and we we need we both. need both. Right. Um, in in running the, in con- making sure that we sustain the success for the family. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, it's interesting that it's not just one person. And I guess that's why you talked about, you know, generational wealth. And it's not like just one person takes over as CEO, does exactly what dad did or what grandfather did and, and calls it a day. Yep. There's a place for both of you in the company in order to, yep. to kind of take it to that next step. Yeah, and I mean, like we can, I can talk about like a course in MIT that makes me really thinks about it. Um, we um currently and and isn't is a nice um year because um they there's a there's a new course a uh, family business. Oh, okay. Um, no, that that just came um that just came up this year because a professor came over from HBS, mm. um and he he retired from HBS and MIT take him in. Um, and this course um, really, you know, teaches about how to sustain a family business over a long, long run, um, and make me really think how each of us position ourselves in, um, and how like eventually sustaining a family business over a long run is is about moving away from the operator mindset, right? Operating a really successful business into thinking about how to manage a portfolio of companies. And how do we invest into the future? How do we make the cash flow from the current business and go into the future of the um, the future segment, uh, future opportunities for the companies? Yeah. Well, it's great that you got that experience. You got such a world-class professor because as you pointed out, MIT is a lot more expensive than Tsinghua. So it, you do want to make sure that that year is productive. So you, you feel like you got your value out of that second year? Oh yes, definitely. So basically, I, um, I put in, I took a lot of credits. Um, I mean, I maxed out the credits as well as some listener class. And um, technically, the the listener class are, um, are currently you know uh, are kind of complicated to get. But um, but you really need to you know be on the lookout of what are the, the interesting classes and really talk to seniors. So. So the main classes that I really like and uh, and it may be different from, from other people and because what I'm looking at is how do I build my capabilities up in, in finance, in investment, mm-hmm. um, in terms of um, in understanding of the, the AI, understanding of um, um, machine learning AI and also the cryptocurrency um, and blockchain, right? So I think I have... Um, the, the classes that I've covered basically uh, the main cover all these areas. So like a really neat class like Analytic Edge, I took it last semester, mm. was uh, basically AI for uh, for manage, managers. Oh, okay. um, it's a re- yeah, it's a really heavy class. Uh, we need to code. Um, <laughs> we need to really learn how to code in our language. Right. But at the same time, um, it makes um, us be able to talk to uh, data scientists 
right. on the um, at and using their language, right? Right. Um, just really understanding the algorithm behind it. What are the um, what are the 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 current algorithm that they're using? Um, you know, like neural. For example, we know learn that neural neural network is not everything, and right. it's not. It's very subset of the machine learning, right. um, and it's only used when when there's huge amount of data in millions data point, um, which is very rare. Only exists in like in, in image processing, for mm. example. So so you know so it makes us um, at least more more aware of what's going on in um, in AI and when people are talking about AI, what are they talking about? Right. And when we listen to people. Um, talk about using AI. We we are not we are not fooled by by. <laughs> so that's kind of right. that's kind of the a really good class that I took. Um, another thing, another class is um on blockchain. Um, and it's not for blockchain. Is for me, it's not just a class, right? Um, and it's the whole community in MIT, um, around blockchain uh, technologies, and we just talk about the future of blockchain. So that's kind of uh another need key takeaway in terms of knowledge that I like that I got from from MIT. Um, yeah, so so those are two and the rest are standard, you know, like macro macroeconomic stuff um, that is obviously very important for um, for investing. Right. And um, and finances, you know, like how to invest. Um, so yeah, so those so those are my main key takeaway in terms of classes at MIT. That's great. And also it's MIT. So when you say you're learning, you know, you're studying AI or machine learning, as you said, you're learning the jargon and the lingo. So you can talk to people from those backgrounds. You can know supervised versus unsupervised machine learning. Um, You know what the possibilities are. So you aren't just being passive and allowing, you know, allowing the data scientists to do whatever they want and deliver you information. You can be proactive and say, I know this is possible and then instruct them to do what you need in order to do the strategy part of things, right? So that's the other uh, advantage of, of understanding the industry so well. Yep, that's, that's exactly right. And um, at, at the same time, like you, you know that, like, for example, one of the, one of the key um, important points is like we, we, got, we really got to understand that 90% of the work is is not um, is data preparation and understanding data and, <laughs> right, and right. like only like five to ten percent is actually the machine learning part. Right. Um, and and really under because data that um typically when, when we go to class the data is super clean, right? Mm. But when in the real world data is <laughs> is messy, right. it's mis- missing data, how do you treat those data? Yeah. It's extremely important. Yeah. Um, and you really need to understand those those details. Um, yeah. And the algorithm is just like it's a very small part of machine. I know it. It makes you appreciate those resumes better, where it just says like clean data, and it's only like two words, one bullet point, <laughs> and now you know what that means. <laughs> you respect in, in, those indeed, people. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and it's it's very statistically heavy exercise actually, and you know like how how do you how do you treat the missing data is actually. It's a it's it's more science than than art or anything. Yep. 
Yeah, no, it's a really powerful tool and an important tool because as you said, you're not going to get clean data. You're not going to get complete data and yet you still need to be able to do something and, and not have it, uh, you know, mess up what, what you're trying to achieve. So yeah, I've always been really impressed with it. Um, and obviously because of the industry we're in, we understand all those, you know, uh, differences between uh, a, a data scientist and a, a business, you know, business analytics and strategy and how all of that fits together. Uh, but this also allows you uh, to understand all the different components, all the different participants. And again, you're going to be able to use that team much more effectively since you know what each person does. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. And then the second class um, that you mentioned, um, why was this something, uh, you know, blockchain obviously can be anything. Uh, so yeah. the blockchain, when you ask people to define it, you know, it's it, most people, it means something different to everybody else, but uh, ultimately uh, the blockchain can be so many uh, different things or it has a ton of applications for you. Why was blockchain important? Uh, why did you target that? Um, it's, uh, it's something that is, um, for me, so, so blockchain technologies uh, solve a couple of things, right? So one is, um, blockchains, um, does the, go, solve the double spending problem. So mm -hmm. it could be the, it could replace the future of finance. Um, and it's, it's extremely important, um, for, for funding any projects, um, in the future. And especially for us, we are in real estate. So real estate is a very finance heavy, um, industry because it's, right. It's a high capital usage and uh, how we recycle that cash is extremely important. Um, so that's that's the first part. Um, the second part is is smart contract, right? And we 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 really need to understand how the new um, technology is be, being able to help um, banks become more efficient, being able yeah. to help uh, basically any industry become more efficient. Basically, you know, use code to to do transactions instead of people verifying the transaction right um, so so for for me um taking um the class or talking to different people because the industry is so new mm. there are a lot of people who are who are um extremely bullish um but you know being able to to listen to different um experts and and forming my own opinion on what's the What's the future going to be? Right. Um, and you know, that's that's extremely important. Um, because blockchain is not and, and cryptocurrency is not gonna take over everything. Um, right. which part is it gonna take over? Um and forming that view is is uh, is important to understand. Um so one of the class we got uh, Vitalik Buterin, um co-founder of, of Ethereum to talk to us about the future of, of Ethereum and uh, blockchain awesome. in general. So it was amazing and yeah. like we really, really got to understand, you know, um, his view and, you know, for example, he's, he's a very moderate um, view. He's not a maximalist. So he mm. doesn't think that blockchain um, um, is going to take over everything. Right. So, you know, and, and which part, what, which part is efficient to take over and why um, those are, you know, something that, that I really, uh, I really find it valuable. Um, in my teeth. Yeah. Right. Well, I think the other thing I want to touch on that I think will be really helpful for listeners is just to understand, I guess there's this classic idea of what an MBA applicant, you know, looks like, what is their age, what's their experience level, uh, their exposure, their leadership level, definitely. Um, and 
admittedly, you know, we talked about this, a little bit of a risk of your application was that you had a job that a lot of MBA graduates want, right? Which puts you in a difficult mm-hmm. position of the why MBA, why now, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it can be difficult because they really, when they say why MBA or why this school, it, it's not just a generic question. They really want to be sure that an MBA is going to benefit you and help you in your uh, career trajectory. And then that, of course, that's going to make the school look good. Um, so how, how did you uh, approach the idea that you had very big leadership when a lot of people don't, you know, they're like, I led a project and you're like, I, I lead a company. Um, mm-hmm. So how do you make sure that you don't look too experienced, but still leverage the fact that you are an unusual candidate? Right. Um, I, I think, you know, being able to, to speak about leadership in a very tangible way is, is a very big advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the only, the only thing is, um, is how to build the narrative for them to, to understand that why, why am I going to MBA? Right. right. So, uh, so, so that's kind of the main, the main thing, um, that, that, um, the main challenge that, um, that we have to, that I had, I had facing when I was um, interviewing. And basically at that time we were, um, I wasn't hundred percent sure that I'm, you know, um, I'm going to. I'm gonna go into investment and things like that. So, so the narrative um, at that time was was how to scale up my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, we were we were actually having uh, a new country manager in uh, the business of stabilizing, mm-hmm. and uh, and I haven't sold the business um, when I right. when I applied. Right. So right. So that that was the narrative that um, that basically um, drove me to um, during the interview is that we wanted to to um, scale up the business we wanted to to learn more about the um, to learn to learn more about um, the scaling scaling of that business that's how um, we uh, we have I approached the the interview going into um, into the MBA no yeah. that's great um, and it really touches on a, a phrase we use a lot in the admissions application process which is positioning um, you know it's really important to understand, uh, p- people hear positioning and strategy at the same time, but to understand the difference between those two things, positioning is is who you're going to present to uh, the school, and and not that it would be a fake something, but all of us have a thousand things. You can't present all one thousand. So positioning is about narrowing it down and saying this is who I am, and then strategy is how do you convey that to the school in the right amount of space, uh, the right word count. Uh, and as you point out in the interview as well, because it, it all works together, the essays lead to the interview, the interview leads to the acceptance. So, it, you know, there was a clear continuity between positioning, strategy, written essays, and interview, uh, and that carried you all the way through. And, and you, um, in your interview process, you feel like they understood that, that they got that? Yeah. I, I think so, and and you know the the extensive experience that I had, um, and especially with entrepreneurship, um, um, and the uh, the ability to scale the business was something that um, kind of uh, one one thing to point out is that I didn't have a very high GMAT score, right? <laughs> and, and something so, and and it was the, like the, one of the biggest worry that I had, yeah. um, but with the with the with the resume and the the, um, the experience that I had, um, it was and uh, the story that was coherent is something that it could um, it over 
um, so it emphasized the um, the candidacies, and that's I think that's um, the reason why I got into the the program. Right, well, into two programs actually, but yeah, um, and that, <laughs> that's ultimately what you're trying to do, um, and that's what we try to do as consultants is is you can't commoditize people, or it's just GMAT. Right. Um, then it's just GMAT and GPA, and, and that's not going to be a successful profile or, or application. It's about making sure that you are more than just one test score, which schools intuitively know, but it's, it's kind of your job to prove it. Uh, and, and it sounds like you figured out uh, exactly how to prove that. And then uh, again, it worked in every single part of the application. So continuity all the way start to finish. And getting into two great programs, and you did. Uh, you were still there when, uh, Rod, or sorry, when you applied. Rod was still there, so you had to interview with what I consider one of the best interviewers in the world. Um, and that would have been that's a challenging interview. So to be able to manage that effectively and and make sure you keep your positioning and your strategy and handle all the probing questions, uh, it's not easy. Uh, so. Uh, you went into that very well prepared and, and feel like you had a good conversation, right? Yep. Exactly. Okay. Um, and the other thing uh, I want to point out before we wrap up is uh, for anybody listening out there, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, your program is a little bit unusual, but uh, I remember one of the advantages of it is that a lot of dual degree programs, you have to get both or it's a no to both. And for yours, you could just get the yes from Tsinghua. And if you, even if you got the no from MIT, you still had Tsinghua, right? Um, granted, That's you correct. got both, which is awesome, but you would have been, it's a little safer uh, if you don't get that super reach, which is MIT. Right. That's, um, that's exactly right. So, yeah, so the program is a little bit unusual um, in the sense that um, actually um, MIT has this program with other partner schools. Um, and Tsinghua is by far the biggest partner. So, for example, we have 22 students um, in the Master of Science in International Studies this year. 14 is from Tsinghua. So, like, over half of it um, right. is the biggest partner school. Right. Um, and Tsinghua has the second advantage of early decisions. So, you can apply together with Tsinghua, um, whilst other schools you can you can't, so you have right. to get into other schools and then you're applying the first year. Right. So, so there's a certainty, um, there's a certainty there um, and you can decide at the same time whether you want to take Tsinghua um, and MIT or you want to go to Tsinghua alone or you want to go to other school. Right. Yeah, you got to get all your information ahead of time and make a very informed decision. Um, yeah. And it gave you the confidence. I think a lot of people especially when GMAT becomes, you know, so difficult and it's difficult for everybody, but MIT, uh, you know, I know was a, a dream school for you. It's a dream school for her, uh, for most people. Um, but it would have been intimidating to just apply to MIT. Uh, the fact that you are doing this dual degree approach makes you a little more comfortable and a little bit more confident during the process. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and because like uh, there was a lot of, it was a dream school and it was a reach. So I was able to apply to a lot of other schools as well. And during the process was able to, um, to really get comfortable with um, interviewing with the process yeah. of, you know, how to tell this, how to tell the story during that interview. And that was really important. 
um, and you know MIT was one of the last um, interviews actually. So Great. you know by the time it was like um, it was it was pretty much a, a, a very comfortable with it. Yeah, no, you don't want Rod Garcia to be your first interviewer. Now it's Donna <laughs> Levinson, but either one, you don't want the Dean of Admissions to be your first interviewer or Eileen yes. from Harvard or whatever. So it's, uh, I always tell people that's one of the benefits of applying to multiple programs um, is that you do get that practice. Um, obviously, I'm sure you practiced a lot on your own in preparation, but there's no replacement for the real thing. So um, that timing definitely works out very nicely for you. Um, yep. well, cool. Um, and it sounds like, I mean, you, it sounds like you couldn't have ended up somewhere better. Uh, and again, the combination of the programs, you got the China connection, uh, which, you know, keeps you, uh, gives you that Asia connection, uh, that cross border, but closer to home. MIT is the best data science program in the world. And of course, a, a top four MBA. Uh, so really get exposure, uh, to both of those things. Um, and, and kind of wrap it all together. And then, as you said, you're now getting to write a thesis where you have one of the best professors in the world helping you write a business plan or, you know, outcomes, uh, expected outcomes uh, for your industry, for your country, for your company. So uh, it, it sounds like things literally could not have gone better for you. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, it was perfect. Um, That's the way awesome. It ends up. Well, it's great to hear because everyone's always excited before. Um, and I know there's a lot of planning that goes into this, a lot of decision making, uh, because you have an infinite number of options. But uh, it's pretty rare where you say, this is the perfect outcome. I'm going to do a year here. Then I'm going to go over and do a year here. And I'm going to study X, Y, and Z. Um, it's rare that everything falls into place like that. So it's awesome uh, to hear that work. And... Uh, I like talking to people toward the end of the process or after they graduate, because then you get to find out if it did work. You know, obviously on paper, you knew that it, it, it sounded great. But uh, now that you've already been through the experience and it's March, uh, you're able to uh, kind of look back and say, yeah, it was it, it really was that good. Yeah. Um, it, it, so. So, yeah, the program has, has worked out. Um, the admission basically, obviously, had. I got into the the program and um, MIT actually turned out to be um, academically very um, very um, rigorous place um, and I was about the number of classes that is there whatever your interest is there is one you know from from a hardcore um, hardcore numbers finance driven to data science if I wanted I wanted to go deeper into data science I could but I I basically after one class, I thought you know, that's I I couldn't do more. Because <laughs> it's too difficult, right? <laughs> yeah, you got what and, you needed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and um, and so so that's uh, and basically exploring, you know, and the the classes that we take will will kind of know what what our interests are. Mm -hmm. Um. So that's um that's also um important idea of discovering ourselves. Um. And of course, the people we meet are extremely. Um, and the, the culture of MIT is extremely hum humbling. So mm -hmm. basically everyone is so smart and so different, but at the same time, they are, they are pretty um, humble. The last thing I want to point out before we wrap up, though, is because everything went so perfectly for you and you got to exactly what you wanted, um, as you mentioned, the GMAT wasn't what you wanted. Uh, won't go into details on, on what that was, but... Um, 
I do want to point out that you did have other schools. As you said, not only did you have interviews, you had acceptances, you got an Oxbridge, you got um, really uh, prestigious offers, but not at the MIT level. And you knew yep. that that would be something you needed to explore and approach. Um, and so you did, you were diverse in your ambitions. You just happened to get your dream, uh, but you, you couldn't have known that the whole time. So I, I do like to remind people to be reasonable, but ambitious. And I, I think you represent that well. I think you were reasonable and, and understanding of what might be your limitations. And you mixed that with reaching for the absolute best. And then now that we're talking, you got the absolute best, but you didn't know that the whole time, right? <laughs> no, I did not. That was, that was literally, it was probably the last acceptance that came in. And right. Um, we were really happy about it. Um, you know, I didn't really expect anything because, um, and I got all the other offers like Cornell, um, John Hopkins, um, Oxford that, um, that we talked about. The rest were all in and we was, I was kind of set on going to Oxford. And then I remember I came in yeah. and I just, I just blew it out. <laughs> it's like, oh my no. God, I was so happy. Yeah. I know. Um, I mean, you were making plans about how to you know, maybe do Tsinghua and Oxford and, you know, just really looking at all these different options and then suddenly MIT comes in and you're like, well, problem solved because <laughs> that, yes. that erases all these other issues. But I mean, you mentioned a lot of great schools. Johns Hopkins is a fantastic school that you really don't see enough. Cornell is a top 15. So Johnson's fantastic as well. Um, uh, Oxford and, and, and Cambridge, uh, essentially the same level, but you're talking about, you know, top 15, top 16. Uh, so, you know, you're playing in that range, uh, which is reasonable given, uh, you know, your circumstances. Uh, and yet, if you do everything right, get all the right support, have that great positioning strategy, interview skills, and you tie it all together, you know, you can get that dream school, but you don't just do the dream school. You mixed it with uh, the, uh, the other programs as well. All right. Exactly. Well, congratulations on all of that. Uh, really happy to hear that everything turned out so well. I know you're home on spring break, so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Uh, I think that's going to be really helpful to people who are listening um, because they don't all they don't consider the dual degree programs all the time, or they don't look at that diversity of school list. Um, and especially, I, I, again, I think what makes has always made you stand out to me is is just the level of leadership and entrepreneurship and success you had before MBA uh, was pretty tremendous. Uh, and a lot of people with that think, you know, either I don't need an MBA or I can't do an MBA. Um, but you figured out that it was the right path for you and, and it's, it's delivered in what you expected. Thank you for having me on, uh, on the call. Yeah, Bill, this was fantastic. No, I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm.